Welcome to Outspoken, a podcast for social change where we talk about current events and how they relate to interpersonal violence and abuse. Outspoken is a project of the Hayes Caldwell Women's Center located in San Marcos, Texas. If you or someone you know has experienced abuse and is seeking support, services, or needs more information, links to resources can be found in our episode description. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts and guests and do not reflect the views of their organizations or affiliates. Welcome back to Outspoken, a podcast for social change. I'm Nathan. I'm Hama. I'm Kiara. And I'm Megan. Today we're going to be talking about relationships in this increasingly digital world and how they differ from the more traditional face-to-face relationships. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, so we'll also be discussing red flags of an abusive online relationship as well as some tips for staying safe online and about how to do some digital safety planning. Now, my first experience with digital relationships, I think, was with this little application called AOL Instant Messenger, or AIM. (laughs) And um, I think I was probably in seventh grade, maybe sixth grade. And um, yeah, basically, you could add your friends' little handles and uh, chat with them. I don't remember if you could even group chat. Does anybody remember... I didn't use AIM. You didn't use AIM? No. You can make – I remember chat rooms, um, which I guess would be similar to a group chat, um, and you could, of course, make like your own private chat. So I guess that would be Google Chat. I remember AIM. I remember dialing up on yeah. <laughs> AOL with a disk and uh, connecting and talking to strangers online and, you know, that was, you know, before internet safety was even really a thing. Yeah, it was definitely a weird world of like the, you know, just having absolutely no clue who you're talking to. You're just having a little avatar and talking to someone in a chat room. But uh, that was my like main experience. And then a few years later, like I dabbled in MySpace mostly like um, for music and such. Uh, not really, didn't really meet friends on there. But that was my experience. What What are some of y'all's like first experiences with digital relationships? I definitely remember MySpace too. Um, I got on MySpace like after I graduated high school, but it was a way to connect with like coworkers. I mean, it was the first, you know, it was like the first social media like experience or the one that I, you know, am aware of and. Uh, so yeah, I mean, looking. I'm glad that I can't buy my own MySpace because there's no telling like what kind of cringy things I probably put on there. Um, but I remember like not really being like I I wasn't a band, so I, I think there might have been a few people I met like that way. But I feel like for the most part on MySpace, it was people who I already knew. Um, I remember like the top eight. I remember Tom. Uh, <laughs> Tom was being your first like everyone's first MySpace friend uh, was. Tom, the guy who created MySpace, I remember that. Yeah, I, the one thing I will say I miss about MySpace was um, how you basically had to learn, and I don't know if everyone, anyone remembers, but like how you basically had to learn how to code to like have a creative looking page. And so I remember yeah. like mm-hmm. taking the time to like put like what background I was going to have and like what song I was going to have. And like it was just all like, you know, you could spend your time and make it really personal. I miss that. <laughs> 
I miss that too. It's sort of because I also, I wasn't on AIM, but we, or most of us are millennials. So our grew up, we grew up at the time where social media was really, really big. And I was also Mm -hmm. had my first experience with social media on MySpace, also learned how to do HTML coding, which (laughs) sort of influenced a little bit of an interest I had in high school with thinking that I wanted to do that as a career because mm-hmm. I had never even heard of HTML coding or anything like that. Like my mom's very techy and did a lot of tech stuff when I was growing up, but it wasn't something that she ever shared with me. But I do remember like the top eight and bulletins <laughs> where you could share your thoughts. It was sort of, oh, right. yeah. And there was um, sending messages to people and sort of, yeah, it was the first platform that I had access to where I could just put my thoughts on the internet and I didn't really think about what that meant. Um, it was our my first experience and a lot of people's first experiences with getting to connect in a way that was detached almost of I'm going to put this out there and somebody is a good chance somebody's going to read it and I know that somebody's listening. I don't have to sit down face to face and say, this is how I'm feeling, mm. but it's out there. And I know that mm. somebody else saw it and it felt kind of comforting, but it also felt kind of nice that sometimes people could comment on it. So I didn't have to directly go to somebody and say, hey, can I talk to you about this? I just put it out there and then they chose on their own to connect with me over something that I put on the internet. So It was kind of nice to have that. And then a little bit later down the line, I would say maybe towards the end of high school, probably around college is when Facebook kind of got big for me. I remember one of my friends was doing a project, I think, for a class and was trying to get people to sign up for Facebook. And I was like, yeah, I'll do this. And sometimes now, especially with like Facebook memories, and it'll come back with like, you posted this on Facebook 10 years ago or six years ago. And I kind of forgot that Facebook used to be almost like Twitter in the way that Mm -hmm. like you had your name and then your thought was like, I'm Kiara is feeling this or doing this or thinking about this. And it wasn't status updates. Yeah. Your status update. It was definitely not what it is now where um, just to see that evolution of going from like, here's a kind of like a Twitter thought to now I'm posting about what's going on in the world and engaging with people and sharing pictures. And yeah, I also had never thought about sharing pictures on the internet either until social media became a thing or trying to make a profile private. So a lot of things to consider, but it was definitely interesting growing up and all of that. Mm-hmm. What about you, Hema? I know your experience <laughs> with the internet's probably going to be different from ours. <laughs> I had heard of AIM. I I don't actually know what it looks like or anything, but you didn't miss out on anything. (laughs) It's basically like just the chat from Zoom. (laughs) Like (laughs) that's that's a good way of putting it. Very simple. (laughs) Like I remember being like a hearing people talk about it, and it was like a chat thing, and they're like AIM, AIM, and then um. I, I would get sent a lot of posts like by my older like family members of like, do you recognize a sound? I bet you don't. And it was like what Megan was talking about, like the dial-up sound thingy. Mm-hmm. Oh, so yeah. that's how I know what it kind of sounds like. I had no experience with that. Um, my brother had a MySpace and he would spend hours like 
fixing and putting on the correct music and stuff. And he had a girlfriend and they would do like little shoots and sometimes they would have me take pictures for them so they could put it on their page and everything. So that's what I knew about MySpace. I think I was like in kinder, maybe first grade um, when I first heard of MySpace. And then I think sixth grade was when Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter blew up. So I was on all of those platforms and it was like the, it was crazy. Like, I think the ones I used the most were Instagram and Snapchat. And it was back then when Snapchat um, had like the little square thing counting down the seconds you had left. Yes. Like, I like forgot about that. Old. And I still have my same username that I made back in sixth grade. And it's very embarrassing. <laughs> that thing still haunts me. But yeah, I mean, social media has been a part of my life for as long as I can remember. It's it's crazy, like hearing y'all saying like, "Oh, I graduated from high um, high school or freshman year," and I'm just like, I've had this for like ever. I'm surprised it lasted this long, and I'm just waiting to see what's gonna like be the next big thing. I mean, we have TikTok now, so mm-hmm. we'll see how long that that lasts, and maybe we'll have a new platform in the next like few years. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I was also just thinking. I had this like visual, and I don't know. <laughs> But I was just having this memory of like how you couldn't just like you didn't just take a picture and like upload it on MySpace like from your phone. It was like if you wanted to put a picture, it was taken from a digital camera or some other means and then like put on the like downloaded or scanned in if you're like scanning in a picture. I just remember there was like so many more steps to like putting a picture because because it used to be like what you said, Kiara, like people didn't post pictures as much it was more just like this is my this is how I feel right now like I'm you know I got a bagel this morning or like whatever it is yeah yeah you had to upload it to like your photo bucket account to get the html to put onto your social media account it was so many more steps so many more steps for sure that's so true a lot of steps that could that you had to think about what you were doing granted like we were at an age that we weren't thinking about what we were doing we're just like we have to do whatever it is we're gonna do so many opportunities to not post that photo and yet we did it anyway (laughs) (laughs) yeah very true which another part of talking about technology is making me thinking about cell phones because it was at a time where i i got my first cell phone my freshman year of high school um and as i've mentioned on previous podcasts i'm from a military family so i moved all over and i had moved to a new state and i was going to one of my first high schools off a military base like my first one of the first schools i'd ever went to off a military base and my mom wanted my sister and i to have cell phones to communicate and i didn't even know that texting was a thing you could do on a cell phone until i met a friend who she didn't have a phone and she had moved we had both moved there around the same time and she wanted to text one of her friends from somewhere else and it was at the time where you probably didn't have unlimited text messaging so texting still cost like 10 cents or so for each message and i didn't think about how like it's the message going out and the message going in um coming in and my friend was like can I text my friend through your phone? I was like, I don't know what that means. And she had explained it to me and she's like, I'll pay you so I can use your phone. But I didn't have like the cognitive 
I wasn't doing the connection of, I need to give this money to my mom. I was like, sure, not really thinking about how much. And my friend didn't give me money, and I was like, it's fine. And I didn't really realize how big of an issue it was until my mom was like, I'm getting like $400 phone bills because you're texting. I was like, I don't know what that means. I'm letting my friend use my phone. So, yeah, I was thinking mm-hmm. about what it means to like use cell phones and text and find different ways to communicate and using T9 and emoticons instead of emojis and accidentally pressing the internet button on your phone and having to close out really fast because it charged you so much money to get on the internet. It was out of the roaming time or whatever. whatever, Yeah. Yeah. Outside the roaming charges. That's so crazy (laughs) hearing about like... Um, how much they would charge you per text? Because, I mean, I feel like most of the interactions that I had with my friends were through social media platforms or, like, texting apps or, like, WhatsApp was pretty big. Yeah. Um, we would use that a lot. Or you could just talk through Snapchat and you can call. You could call through, like, Facebook. So thinking about how, like, you would have to pay is kind of crazy. And I'm just, like, imagine, like, the bill I would get. Like, or my parents would get right. and then I feel like I had a phone a lot earlier than y'all had one but because back then or at least when I was of age to get a cell phone it wasn't as expensive to have like an unlimited texting plan or data plan but I don't know like that's crazy imagine like Oh, and I'm, I think I'm saying this because I just saw this t- a TikTok. Um, it was like a 12-year-old, and I think they made a friend in France. And suddenly, after like calling them like several times, they got a text message saying like, "Hey, um, uh, this amount of money is going to be added to your next um, billing cycle." And he was like, "What does this mean?" And after like a long talk with their dad, it was like, "Yeah, like this is a thing." She was like, "Well, this is the first time like." we've been calling because usually we just talk through social media so like they had no idea that like Mm. it was that expensive and i remember also being like oh my gosh like 142 dollars for a call like that's Mm -hmm. crazy but i don't know it's just really weird how like y'all would pay that much to like text your (laughs) friends i don't know i feel like it was just really uncommon though like people didn't text the way they text now like and i i mean i had the option i remember when i had my phone plan even when i was like 20 and I purposely had a phone plan that didn't have a lot of texting on it because I just it just wasn't something people did. Like it's hard to, it's hard to imagine now. It feels weird saying it, but like I mean, I was just like, no, nah, I don't use it that much. I don't really need it. Like that was kind of like my attitude towards texting because most people called, and then also people were still catching up with the technology too. So like, not necessarily everyone you knew had a smartphone yet. I, I'm just picturing like me being in my dorm and like needing something and not being able to FaceTime my mom like how to cook something. Like how how did that work? I know, right? How did we how did we live? How did we do this? Right? I have no idea. You just called and if it was late at night, you probably waited to call until you could use like your nighttime minutes or whatever so your bill wouldn't go up. Yeah. Y'all are so brave. <laughs> I mean, we didn't know anything different. And I think the opposite for you, I can't imagine what it's like to grow up at such a young age where it's expected almost to be on so much technology and so much social media, especially now that um, Mark Zuckerberg specifically is like buying, Facebook is buying all of these different social media um, platforms. So it's so easy now to connect all of them. And it used to be that 
whatever I saw on Snapchat wasn't the same thing I saw on Facebook or Instagram. And now you can connect them and I can see the same content that a person posted and they either posted it through one app or they're using a separate app like we do for our job to post through social media. And it's Mm -hmm. wild to think how easy it is to be connected now. It's really great to have that opportunity, but it's also just weird to think that we have access to each other 24 hours a day, every second of the day. And we all know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's a good point um, and kind of brings us into our topic today is like how that is affecting our relationships, right? Like how is it now that we have this 24-hour day, seven-day access? Like how is that affecting how we relate to one another and our romantic relationships and platonic relationships? Because there's definitely a difference, I think, now in like expectations and like how you communicate with one another and all that, but just as this whole other layer um, that we're going to explore today. Mm-hmm. So to introduce that, because we keep, we're saying digital relationships, but it's helpful to give sort of a general definition and explain what we mean when we say digital relationships. So we're all working from the same place. And when we say digital relationships, we're talking about our relationships with other people through the use of technology. So we've talked about texting and calling online chat, social media, uh, and uh, any other form of digital communication. So that's what we mean when we're talking about digital relationships here. Mm -hmm. And one thing I think of that um, is so different now, like thinking back, like when my very first Facebook posts and all those things was how we have online communities now. And that to me, it can be a really great thing because you might not have people near you that are you know, going through the same thing as you or have similar, like, that are similar to you or people that you really connect with. But that's kind of the one of the beautiful things I found coming, uh, you know, online uh, in my younger adult period was the fact that there were, like, online communities of people I could connect with that I had things in common with that I didn't have things in common with the people around me. And, for like, so, for instance, like, I became um, a new mom back in 2010 And I didn't know anyone else who was having uh, children at that time. And uh, I actually met a lot of women online and a lot of moms and dads online um, just through like a baby like forum thing where it was like, we're all having a baby in July. So let's just like talk. And then through there, I actually had a lot of, uh, you know, had some friendships that I made that I'm still talk to those people uh, online today. Um, And a couple of them I actually ended up meeting in person. But I don't know, like, I always think about the fact that, like, one of the really good things I think that came out of all this access, because we often, so often hear about the negative, right? So for me, one thing I think about is the timing of that worked really well for me, because I had, when I had no one to talk to about being a new mom, I found I was able to find this whole online community of people um, that I could, you know, share that experience with, even though we weren't physically anywhere near each other. And that's something, you know, honestly, back in 2002, you know, before social media and all that, like I would not have been able to do. And I would have felt a lot lonelier uh, during that time. So that's something that I, I will say uh, that I really appreciate about having, you know, online relationships and, and, and of course, you know, how you act and stuff like that is, can, is really important. Like, I I don't want to say that like the online community was just like peaches and cream and it was the greatest thing ever. Like there were some toxic behaviors that can come out with people online, especially when there's that like feeling of like not being in the same room with somebody. I think people can be, sometimes people can 
be a little nasty to each other, you know. So I'm not saying it was all roses, but, um, you know, that's like how we're, how you engage yourself in an online space comes into play. And like, how, who are you going to be as a citizen of that online space? And how are you going to treat other people? And like, that's where that is also really important because, you know, as we know now in the online environment, how you act in person and how you act online, how you act online is just as important as how you act in person, if, if not more, because it's, can often be there forever as we as our Facebook memories come back from 2010 and remind us. Remind us. Or other people will deep dive on your yeah. social media and remind you as well. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's really cool how um, technology really has like democratized the dissemination of information um, and, you know, open the community aspect to it. So like, nowadays with the with the search of a hashtag you can delve into any little micro community and find out a ton of information and that's mm-hmm. kind of like how i use try and use social media for the most part is like yeah. whatever my little interest is within an hour i can actually hear from experts which before the internet you were paying usually a good amount of money to get mm-hmm. some information that uh, taking a class or, you know, and often like for people like me who grew up in a, in a relatively small town, if you wanted to get into anything that wasn't pretty suburban kind of standard kind of uh, communities, you had to go to a bigger city. You actually had to mm-hmm. go into Houston or Austin uh, to, you know, access some of these like, you know, little communities of people who are maybe into whatever. Oh, I'm trying to think of what was popular when I was like that age, maybe Dungeons and Dragons or whatever um, the little community it was. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah. You saying that makes me think of, um, I'm almost hesitant to say it because it feels like breaking the rule of this form of social media like there's this understanding of different forms of social media and one of them being tumblr is that you don't talk about tumblr outside of tumblr um (laughs) but tumblr has gone downhill so i feel like we can talk about it now um i had a tumblr and right out of uh high school into college is kind of where i found those things that you were talking about nathan of getting to get on the internet And have a space where I got to connect with other people who identified the same way that I did or they had the same thoughts Mm -hmm. or the same feelings. And it was a place where I feel like you could be honest and be judged or not judged, I guess, is what I'm trying to say Um, as a LGBTQ, Mm -hmm. like a person in the LGBTQ community. And something that I continue to hear even now is that Tumblr was a place for a lot of people within the community to connect with other people who identified the way that they did and or to understand an identity of I didn't know other people felt this way. I didn't know other people Mm -hmm. identified this way. But it was also a place for me to see other people who listen to the same kind of music or they like the same kind of art or as I got a little bit older and got interested in social justice I was seeing other people get the same interest and reposting content that I um, had didn't had never seen before I didn't know that this was going on in this part of the world but this person is posting this and now I know about whatever is going on um 
So I'm very grateful to have had that part of the community, um, especially thinking about the intersection with mental health, uh, especially with social media now and thinking mm-hmm. about how social media is kind of the place where you go to post all the good things that are happening in your life and you don't really want to peek behind the curtain of like struggle and it's changing a little bit. But Tumblr was the place where, for a lack of a better term, was a place I felt like I could be sad on the internet and other people were saying, me too. <laughs> Um, Mm -hmm. And we weren't judged. And if it got to a point where you saw somebody who really need help or support, um, Tumblr was the first place that I saw things like, this is how I share resources with other people. This is how I can share this hotline for somebody else. Um, Do this chat, talk to this other person, message me privately, and I'll talk to you about it. I'd never seen anything like that before when I was growing Mm -hmm. up. And I was grateful to have had that aspect of social media through Tumblr that we see now. Um, I see it a little bit on like a different kind of community with Reddit. Um, but yeah, I appreciated that about Tumblr as I was becoming a young adult and forming my own identity and finding my own community outside of the one that I graduated from. I would say grew up in, but I grew up in lots of different places. So. For sure. Online communities can be like a lifeline, you know, like if you're like, not like like I said like if you're not able to find those people around you that can like relate like you'll Mm -hmm. probably find them online somewhere and they'll all be in a group already and (laughs) they'll understand you (laughs) yeah so with um you know we talked about how you can access like so many um communities and groups through social media and um, just have instant access. I think that's something that is sort of starting to get talked about more and more is this idea of uh, digital citizenship, which is like we have all this power to be uh, basically a invisible part of a community and there is a ton of responsibility that goes with that. And I think, and so digital citizenship is basically this concept of how we should be acting in an online space, how you should treat people, what you should post, um, because it does open, let's just say that opens like this portal for people just to do whatever they want because there there's no accountability because they're maybe thousands of miles away from from the next person that they're maybe talking to online. I think about how uh, YouTube comments and Yahoo comments for nobody who uses Yahoo, people still drag me for using Yahoo, but I like the images compared to that there's no images on Google. I'm just exposing myself here. Um, we love you. Yeah, right. But <laughs> Yahoo turned off their comments because um, on their articles because it became this toxic environment. And it's sort of like an unknown, known place of like the comments on any sort of social media platform, whether it's BuzzFeed or YouTube comments or whatever, is where you go to watch like toxic things happen. Um, or on, I mentioned Reddit, um, where people have different subreddits. So it's sort of like a forum where you can post things and you can sort by new or whatever, but you can also sort by controversial if you want to see people potentially. um, I don't know. The thought that's coming to my mind right now is like, that's usually where you will see uh, people making garbage comments, um, things that Mm -hmm. are hurtful, things that are judgmental. Um, Yeah. That 
you both of you, Megan and Nathan, talking about digital citizenship, um, that's where we see unhealthy and abusive digital citizenship playing out on the internet a lot of the time is in comments or people directly taking it to people's dms and feeling empowered to say whatever they want to somebody directly because they know that nobody else is going to see it and they're going to hope that they feel bad enough to not repost it which i'm kind of like the idea of people reposting i don't want people to get negative comments but i've seen a lot of empowerment come from people holding other people accountable and saying this person sent me this message and this isn't okay we can't treat people like this on the internet just because you're uh, um, however long away far away from us just because you have a screen in between and we don't know each other you can't say these things to people there's still another person on the other end who's impacted it's true and i think that's and that's sort of the place that we're at right now in our world and our country and everything is we're, we're very divided and um let's just say a hundred years ago or let's just say 50 years ago and you lived in a rural environment um all your neighbors lived kind of the same way thought a lot of the same things and you had to look them straight in the eye when you um kind of did something that they didn't like and and nowadays um, it's it's very detached and so it kind of opens the opens the gate for like you having to be confronted with things that you fundamentally disagree with and try and make sense of that or uh, considering that something that you you can think something in your head or you would say it a certain way out loud but it's not going to translate the same way over the internet or through text messages or something like that so um i've had as i'm sure y'all have had experiences where you sent something to somebody else you're like no that's not what i meant or that wasn't the intention like i think of people talking a lot about how sarcasm doesn't translate really Mm -hmm. at all through digital communication unless you have a good relationship with that other person because you can know the intent behind it Uh, but it's brought another layer of trying to think about the way that we communicate is trying to find different ways to communicate our intention behind what we're saying uh, through technology. It's totally a whole nother layer. I know that like when I uh, first started like communicating in an online community, um, like this was like, I was, you know, already an adult, like I had said, and uh, that was something that I had to learn was tone. Like some people, like half the people in the community would be like, oh, she's hilarious. And then half the people are like, she's rude. You know what I mean? So it's like, how they were reading my tone, like, is something that I had never, like, thought of before because you're, you know what you mean in your own mind, you know, but, um, so that was, like, a whole other layer of, like, communicating is, like, how to make sure you're communicating in a way where people aren't, um, you know, like, offended or, or just making assumptions about you or, or reading it in a way that you didn't intend, like, your tone was not what they thought it was or, you know. And, yeah. it, and it can be a good thing, right? Like, so I have found myself in situations where I'm talking to people either through text or online. And I actually like really glad the conversation's not in person because it's a conversation where it like gives me an opportunity to like think about what I'm saying. And, uh, you know, in person, we don't really have that luxury because you're just kind of, you know, people are expecting an answer like right away. That's true. So there are pros and cons with communicating digitally um, sometimes. Yeah. 
I think of as you were talking about you not wanting to like maybe some people thinking that the way that you were communicating was rude or not rude. Um, I just had this thought that I had never really thought of before when we talk about like gendered expectations and the idea that women and girls are supposed to be nice and they're supposed to be kind Mm -hmm. and they're supposed to always smile. Um, And I love emojis in general. I just love them. But I also wonder how much of my use of emojis in my messages are influenced by the gendered expectation of I need this person to know that I am smiling when I say this because I don't want them to think that I'm rude or that I'm whatever negative thing they don't want me to be instead of just saying that's not my intent. I'm sort of doing the mental gymnastics or the mental steps of I don't want to step outside of whatever this expectation will be because I don't want to get the backlash or whatever I think I might get from being perceived as rude or unkind or not smiling or whatever through text message. So yeah, I didn't think about that until you said it. And I'm like, is this why I use so many emojis? I don't want to think this deep into it, but maybe that's what's happening. (laughs) Keep up the emojis. We love your emojis. (laughs) I don't know. Right now I'm just thinking a lot about um, like cancel culture (laughs) and how essentially like there's like this thought of like once you're like over on your internet like your life is over so I don't, and oh man i don't know i'm still thinking about the those comments like that people make and i'm just like yeah people can actually be like super mean online and then go on about like their lives like nothing ever happened or like they didn't do anything wrong mm-hmm. yeah it I with the work that we do doing uh, primary prevention education specifically, um, which we have a little bit of if you're interested in that, just look it up online or we have some information about it on stopthehurt.org of like what we mean about primary prevention. And I think we've talked about it in the first episode where we talked about what we do. Um, But a lot of that work is focused on uh, addressing certain risk factors for violence and building up protective factors. Um, And one of the two of the protective factors that we focus on a lot is connectedness and feeling like other people care about you and empathy. And I'm thinking about how um, technology can be a really good tool at fostering both of those, but it can also be a tool to um, foster those not happening that Mm -hmm. you can not be connected because you don't feel connected to the other person on the other end, then you don't empathize with them. So you can feel that you can say whatever it is you want to say, um, which perpetrates violence, that if we're going to say abusive and harmful things to other people, that's a way of perpetrating violence against another person. So, mm-hmm. At least with cancel culture, it's like, a you know, it's people saying, hey, we're not going to tolerate this anymore. Like, I know like cancel culture has a lot of you know, or has some like negative, it's not necessarily, like not everyone agrees with it, right? But at least it's some form of being like, we're not tolerating this anymore. Yeah, I agree. And we've talked about a few ways that are, that technology in communication and relationships has, has kind of been beneficial. And we've talked about a few ways where it can be problematic. But I think what we definitely know is uh, technology does affect our our communication, it's definitely changed the way that we've communicated. And because of that, it naturally changes our relationships. So we kind of talked about how technologies open the door to um, accessing these 
communities that are long distance. It's also changed how we've uh, changed long distance relationships between people we knew in person. So Mm -hmm. for example, I know, you know, there's people whenever I was young, I had a good friend who moved away and I just never heard from him again. And I, to be honest, I don't even remember his last name. So I couldn't (laughs) even like Facebook and look him up like as a lurker or anything. But now, nowadays, it's like the distance between us doesn't necessarily matter there. I mean, it's definitely opened the door to long distance romantic relationships. I mean, and that that's pretty common. I just met someone the other night who had just moved to Austin to meet her girlfriend who had been living Mm. in Austin or they've been dating online for three years. So it's just like, it's a whole kind of new world of, of that, which, um, which also leads to like some, the ability to be anywhere at any time sort of also creates these, I think it's naturally created some sort of weird um, con uh, ideas around privacy and expectations. Like if you are available, then you should be available. Um, and that's, that's sort of a, a, a kind of a weird space that we're all kind of trying to get used to, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you kind of have to, in some cases, like set your own boundaries around that, like, right, like I had a group chat with some online friends for years. And it was like, you know, in in a way you're like, anytime I went, my, you know, my friends are like in my pocket. But it's also like, anytime I want, my friends are in my pocket, you know, like, so that means like, you have this expectation too, of like, if they ask you a question, or if they say something to you, like, you feel like you constantly need to be checking and like responding, where it's like, that's not realistic, right? Like, that's not how relationships typically are. That's not how friendships typically are. Like, you have times where you see each other, you have times where you don't, you know, to have just like a ongoing conversation where you feel the need to just constantly um, having to respond can can you know it can feel like you don't have your privacy anymore like you don't have your personal time anymore yeah I think of you saying that made me think of being on like the receive the opposite side of sending information and then knowing that the other person hasn't sent it um Mm -hmm. I have a phone uh that just now started showing me red receipts uh, for certain people, I used to never see them, and it gives me so much anxiety. And, and Snapchat sort of gave made gave me the same feeling, and I stopped using it for a very long time because I didn't like the knowing of this person read it and they're not responding. That mm-hmm. um, it used to be, I would knowing I could tell myself this person's busy, they have a life, they're doing things, which is still true once they read it, but knowing that they read it, knowing that they opened it, knowing that they saw it and that they didn't respond to it still gives me a lot of anxiety um, because we've grown up with having this technology uh, that's this expectation that somebody is going to be able to respond because I sent it. And uh, I know that the phone is in your pocket. I know that you're on social media, um, which I think of also. Um, I've seen a few people post of how can you I saw you post on social media, but you won't respond back to my text message. Like I saw somebody literally post mm-hmm. that on their social media recently. Um, yeah, it just brings this expectation, like you said, of you need to be able to respond because 
why shouldn't you be available to respond? And it just, it goes, like, while, while you're saying this, too, it just kind of goes to show, like, we know too much. Like, yeah. I shouldn't know that you've read this text. Yes. Like, I shouldn't know that you're, like, you have your phone on you. Like, that's just, it's, like, too much information that, like, that we all have now, right? But at the same time, it's, like, so what? Maybe I need to, like, think about my response before they text you back or, you know what I mean? So, it, but it is, it's, like, all, it's all consuming because we're so used to, like, having it having immediate um information basically so it's just like this expectation and we all have our phones on it on us uh, my husband back in like the early 2000s when phones were like you know some people had them and some people were holding off he was kind of holding off and he would call it an electronic leash and in a way he's not wrong I mean like we it's you're you're kind of like it's because of that expectation of like well, your phone's right there. Like, you should be responding to me. It's like, it's a lot. We, we put a lot of pressure on one, on one another with having phones now that used to, it would be like, I sent a letter and maybe I'll hear back from him in a month. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. There's more space in between, which I know that we had talked a little bit about boundaries too, but you saying that made me think of um, the change in workplace boundaries that I've heard with some people that because we have access to emails mm -hmm. on our phone or that we can get text messages after hours or we can get push notifications to our phone. Sometimes it feels like not it feels, but for some people there is this expectation in this work in their workplace to be available 24 seven because people have access to you 24 seven and there's less boundaries between your work time and your time where you're not at work because people can ask you questions about work all the time. Or when you're off work, it can be easy to say, Hey, I know you're busy. I know you're out. I know you're off today, but can you just answer this question really fast? And, um, you can almost feel guilty for not responding because the response that at least I have is, um, I'm not here today. Um, if I didn't have this phone or if I didn't have a computer, you would not be able to reach me. So it's nice to be able to reach people, but it also blurs some of those different boundaries. And I know that we see that in relationships too. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely something I had to learn because like for I think all of my life I have been available to people and people have been available to me. My friends have always been in my pocket. My parents are like just a call away. So mm -hmm. like they've also just been like calling me like 24 seven or like those group chats. It's like you're expected to respond and all of that. So and then even now that I'm like uh, new to like the adult workplace, I'm still in the like in the middle of a pandemic. So then all of it's most of it online. So I'm still available to like my workplace and it's just like been like a learning like learning curve like trying to be like okay just because we have access to all of these apps and that make things great um you don't have to be like available 24 7 even though you feel like you should it's okay to not be yeah maybe that's yeah. a good like mantra like i don't have to be available <laughs> 24 hours it's a day. true because <laughs> you i mean the pre everyone feels the pressure i'm sure you know yeah and I think what it starts with also, and good point, like making a, a mantra for yourself, like I don't have to be available 24-7. I think what's equally important is for the mantra that says other people don't have to be available to me 24-7. And both yeah. of those are important, but you can say it for yourself all day. But if you're not thinking it for others, then you can't really like mm -hmm. push, create the change, you know, in, in others. So Very true. As adults, 
it's a lot easier to have that perspective than it yes. is for youth who who are just trying to survive in like the craziness of socialization at that age. It's so true. And the fact that especially with preteens and teenagers developmentally you're at a place where you're trying to connect with other people that's outside of your family unit and mm-hmm technology allows you to be able to do that um and they're still learning about relationships too none of us really had a guidebook unless we had people talking to us about it so sometimes you kind of slip up and technology can do that too can be especially hard at that age to like set those boundaries for yourself because you know peer relationships are so important when you're like in the middle school and high school age that it can be like it can be hard to like step outside of yourself and be like, oh, I should really like have more boundaries and not just be like available 24 hours a day when my friends are texting me. Like you don't, it's harder to see like the benefit of that. I think when you're younger versus when you're an adult, because you're wanting that connection so much with your peers that it's hard to see it as a bad thing. Um, but I think that's why like an outsider, an adult would see, you know, a youth getting texted constantly nonstop and see that as a bad thing. Yeah. I feel like, uh, I would just be like, what about what if I'm missing out on something? Right, exactly. <laughs> you have this fear that that's a real fear too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's also so much. I think the the concept of cancel culture has existed for much longer. Like at that high school and middle school age, it's like kind of new for adults because as adults we usually like like I think don't care as much. But as as a youth, like. I remember people getting canceled at my school and not like as like an official thing, but all of a sudden people are like, actually, that person's weird. We're just not talking to them. So it's it's so much easier just to fall outside of the grace of like the uh, greater community when you're at that age and just kind of be left behind. Right. We'll talk about social pressure, right? They're they're mm-hmm. experiencing probably like even more social pressure because you're not in that like development stage and as adult anymore where you're like wanting that um, or you're like needing that peer acceptance as much. Like by the time you're in your 30s, you're kind of like a little bit more self-assured. But um, yeah, like for I mean, like the social pressure for youth to respond, I, I would imagine is a lot greater <laughs> than it would be for for me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just I just won't respond, y'all. <laughs> I'm the one on on read. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> and it's a little bit easier to do that when you're an adult versus yeah. like you go to school with these people every day, or you have the same classes with them, um, or you work with them, or whatever. So it's a little bit harder uh, if you don't respond to somebody's message for them to see you in the next class period or whatever and say, "Why didn't you respond to me?" This sounds like a really good conversation and we're already probably coming up on the time that we have for this episode. So I think that we could probably use a part two for this episode. So we could let's end it here and then in part two, come back and we're going to talk about the benefits and maybe some of the challenges of digital relationships, as well as how uh, digital relationships relate to abuse and some digital safety planning. So with that, we'll just instead of we usually end on a prevention and action tip, but we'll end with a self-compassion break this time. It's a little bit different, but I like it. Um, And then we'll come back at the beginning of next episode with part two and continue the conversation. With that, uh, speak up, speak out and be outspoken. 
Our self-compassion tip for this episode is to put a self-compassion mantra or phrase where you'll see it to remind yourself to practice self-compassion. Write it on a sticky note and put it on your mirror. Place a mantra on your desk at work or in your kitchen as a reminder for yourself, your family, and your friends. Or change the wallpaper on your phone. Your mantra can be as simple as, I'm doing my best. I am enough. Or be kind to yourself. Daily reminders can help us change our inner dialogue so it's less critical and more kind.